Welcome to the Whitefields Community Church Podcast. For more information about our church, including location and service times, visit us online at whitefieldschurch.com. If you are blessed by this message, please consider sharing it with others and leaving a rating or review on your favorite podcast app. Today's message comes from our series, The Spirit-Filled Life, in which we look at what the Bible says about the person and work of the Holy Spirit in the world and in our lives. Here is Pastor Nick. Well, we're currently in a series called The Spirit-Filled Life. And in this series, we have been studying about the person and work of the Holy Spirit for five weeks. This is our fifth week in this five-week series, which is, means that this week is our concluding week of this series. We're going to be starting a new series soon, studying through the books of First and Second Corinthians. So that's what's coming up next. But today, our message is titled, The Gifts of the Spirit. And that's what we're going to be studying about in this last part of our Spirit-Filled Life series. So please bow your heads with me. And let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your word. Thank you that you speak to us through it. Lord, thank you that you are eager to speak to us. Lord, help us that we would be eager to hear from you. And so, Lord, we pray that as you speak to us, Lord, that we would hear, that we would receive, and we would put into practice the things that your word has to say to us. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. You know, it doesn't usually get very cold in Florida which is why Florida is home to a lot of things, right? Like Disney World is, is there because it doesn't get that cold. Uh, it's home to uh, Cape Canaveral and the Kennedy Space Center because, again, it doesn't get very cold in Florida. And, and because it doesn't get cold uh, very often, that's why it's also home to alligators and retired people, right? And so <laughs> even in the winter, right, it, it almost never gets below freezing in most of Florida, which is why January 27th, 1985 was such a weird day, such a strange day, because on that day, the temperature there in central Florida dropped all the way down to 24 degrees Fahrenheit, well below freezing. It was a record low temperature for that part of Florida, and it was a full 20 degrees lower than the average lowest temperature in central Florida. And the problem was that on that day, the Kennedy Space Center had scheduled the space shuttle launch of the space shuttle Challenger. Now, they'd been preparing this shuttle launch for two years. Billions of dollars had been poured into the space program, preparing for this launch, building these devices that were going to go up and, and launch this space shuttle up into space. And so they waited until it got a little warmer. And, and just after 11.30 in the morning, the space shuttle Challenger was launched into space there from Cape Canaveral. And one in five Americans was watching this live on TV, but almost 80 or 90% of all school children in the United States were watching this uh, take place live on TV. And they watched in horror as 73 seconds after Challenger was launched up into space, it burst into flames. And as it burst into flames and, and it crashed back down into the sea, the entire crew was lost and the space program was put on hold indefinitely until they could figure out what had gone wrong and what had caused the Space Shuttle Challenger to explode. And through their investigation, what they discovered is that the explosion was caused by the failure of an O-ring. And what an O-ring is, just a little rubber gasket that was inside one of the engines. It's a thin rubber gasket. In fact, if you think about the space shuttle, right, there's all this money into all this high-tech machinery, the highest-tech stuff that is even possible. And this O-ring was probably the lowest-tech piece in the, entire, in the entire space shuttle. It was probably also the cheapest piece in the entire space shuttle. Everything else cost millions of dollars. This one piece probably cost less than $1 to manufacture. And yet that was the part that failed 
failed and caused the entire thing to fail. And the reason it failed is because of the freezing temperatures overnight that were unusual in that part of Florida. Well, because that one piece didn't do its job, the O-ring failed. The whole space shuttle exploded. Lives were lost. The space program was shut down for years. You see, little pieces, little parts can make a big difference. And what that tells us is that every part matters. And in the same way, God tells us that in the Bible, he tells us that in the midst of this whole world, he sees you and you matter to him. And you have an important role to play in what he's doing in the world. Little parts matter. You matter to God and to what he's doing in the world. The title of today's message is The Gifts of the Spirit. And in our study today, here's what we're going to see. We're going to see that as the Holy Spirit comes upon us, he graciously gives us gifts so we can act as his body in the world. That's our sentence for today. And every week what I do is I give you a sentence which then, fo- then serves as our outline for the message and as we study this passage. So I want to encourage you, write that down in your notes. Write down your margins. There are note cards in the chairs in front of you. Write it down and, and take a picture of it. Whatever you got to do to keep this message with you and have a record of it as you go so you remember what we studied today and what an outline is for this passage of Scripture. So as the Holy Spirit comes upon us, He graciously gives gifts so that we can act as his body in the world. Let's take that sentence and break it down as our outline for studying this passage. So first of all, as the Holy Spirit comes upon us, over these past few weeks as we've been studying about the person and the work of the Holy Spirit, what we've seen is that there are three distinct relationships that the Holy Spirit has with people. What we've seen is as we've gone through the first of those relationships, we call the with relationship. So the Holy Spirit is with all people, drawing them to Jesus and convicting them of sin and righteousness and judgment. The second relationship with the Holy Spirit is the in relationship. You see, when you put your faith in Jesus, and you respond to that drawing of the Holy Spirit, put your faith in Jesus, the Holy Spirit then indwells you, begins to live inside of you who believe in Jesus. But there's also a third relationship with the Holy Spirit. We spent most of our time in this series looking at that second one, the Holy Spirit in us. Today our focus is going to be on that third one, which is the Holy Spirit upon us. We read throughout the Bible that there are times when the Holy Spirit comes upon people at different times to empower them to do the things that God has called them to do. For example, in the Old Testament, we read this phrase, right, that the Holy Spirit came upon Gideon. The Spirit of the Lord came upon David. The Spirit of the Lord came upon Elisha. The Spirit of the Lord came upon Samson. And it was always to empower them to do something that God had called them to do. And maybe you remember right before Jesus ascended into heaven, he spoke to his disciples and he told them, you will receive power when? When the Holy Spirit comes upon you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. The coming upon of the Holy Spirit is all about the empowering of God to do what God has called you to do. And so in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 1, Paul the Apostle writes this. He says, Now concerning spiritual gifts, brothers, I do not want you to be uninformed. And then he says in verses 2 and 3, something really interesting. He says, You know that when you were pagans, you were led astray to mute idols, however you were led. Therefore, I want you to understand that no one speaking in the Spirit of God ever says, Jesus is accursed, and no one can say, Jesus is Lord, except by the Holy Spirit. Now, here's what it seems. What is he addressing here? It seems that in the Corinthian church, on the one hand, some people lacked knowledge or lacked understanding about the spiritual gifts, what they are and how they work. But on the other hand, 
There were other people who, it wasn't just that they lacked understanding, is that they were even apprehensive, maybe even scared or afraid of opening themselves up to spiritual things, particularly spiritual gifts. Now, and here's why. It seems to be that their background in paganism led them to believe some of the Christians there, new Christians, having converted from paganism, they were afraid that if they opened themselves up to the Holy Spirit coming upon them, that they might lose control of themselves, you know, be, be like in a trance or something. And who knows what they might do in that trance. They might even curse the name of Jesus. And Paul's telling him, no, guys, that's not how it works with the Holy Spirit. Maybe in, in your pagan past, but this is not that. The Holy Spirit is God. And so the Holy Spirit will never lead you to curse Jesus. The Holy Spirit will lead you to Jesus and lead you to glorify Jesus. And, and I would say that just as in the Corinthian church, there were these two, two errors, right? On the one hand, lack of understanding. On the other hand, apprehension or fear about the gifts of the Spirit and the things of the Spirit. I think that exists today as well in the church. And so what Paul does here in this section is he's going to show us that these are not things we should be lacking understanding about. And they're also not things that we need to be apprehensive about. Rather, God's design for these things is exceedingly good and exceedingly beautiful when it's put into practice. And so that brings us to the second part of our, our sentence here. As the Holy Spirit comes upon us, what does he do? He graciously gives gifts. He graciously give, get, gives gifts. And in verse 4, Paul goes on to say this. Now, there are a variety of gifts, but the same Spirit. You know, in the Old Testament, the prophet Joel had prophesied. He prophesied that in the last days, God would pour out his spirit on people all over the world. And as a result, people would receive spiritual gifts. And those spiritual gifts were God-given capabilities beyond your own natural capacity in order to do God's work in the world. That's what these spiritual gifts were. And Joel prophesied about this and foretold this. And on the day of Pentecost, if you remember in the book of Acts chapter 2, Peter declared that that day which was foretold by the prophet Joel had now come. It had now arrived, this time in which God was giving these gifts by the Holy Spirit. And so Paul tells us uh, here in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, if you look down at verse 7, he tells us this, to each one is given. Well, wait a second. To each who is given. To each believer, to each Christian, to each member of the body of Christ, to each believer, is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. What this means is that if you are a Christian, God has given you a manifestation of the Holy Spirit for you to use for the benefit of others. That's what a spiritual gift is. But notice again what Paul says in verse 4. He says, now there are varieties of gifts, but the same Spirit. One of the things that Paul wants to make really clear in this chapter is that not everyone has the same spiritual gifts, and that is by design. That's not a mistake, right? It's not a problem that other people don't have the gifts that you have or that you don't have the gifts other people have. It's by design. Furthermore, he says in verse 5, there are varieties also of services, but the same Lord. In verse 6, there are varieties of activities, but it's the same God who empowers them all in everyone. In other words, God has given people different roles, different callings, different ministries, different gifts in the church amongst different believers by his grace. We're not all the same, and that's good. It's by design. That diversity is by design, and we are to have unity in the midst of that diversity. 
Now, in verses 8 through 10, Paul gives us a list of nine distinct spiritual gifts. He gives us a list of nine spiritual gifts. And we're going to go through that list here in just a second. But I want you to understand this, first of all. This list is not exhaustive, meaning that this list here in 1 Corinthians 12, this isn't all the gifts that exist out there, right? There are also other passages that we read about in, uh, that talk about spiritual gifts that list other gifts that aren't listed here. And on that handout that I gave you when you walked in, you should have received a handout. If not, make sure to pick one up when you go. But it has the different passages in the Bible that where the spiritual gifts are talked about and which gifts are mentioned. And on the back of it, you'll see that I've broken those gifts down into three categories. Now, listen, the other passages that talk about this in the New Testament would be passages like Romans chapter 12, uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 12, the end of the chapter, and Ephesians chapter 4, verse 11. And so take a look at that handout, and you'll see that I've divided these gifts into three categories. We've got speaking gifts, leading gifts, and serving gifts. Now understand, there's, there's a lot of overlap in some of these, right? Some of these gifts might fall into more than one category, but these are just three helpful ways of, of breaking them down and thinking about the gifts. So let's look at the list of the spiritual gifts that Paul gives here in chapter 12. We'll just walk through these verses and look at each of these gifts individually. He says in verse 8, for to one is given the, through the Spirit the utterance of wisdom, to another the utterance of knowledge according to the same Spirit. So the word of wisdom, that's the first gift that's mentioned here. What is that? It's, it's a special endowment of wisdom from God for a particular situation or problem, right? How many of you have ever been in a situation where you're like, I need wisdom. I need God to show me what to do right now. Like, I need to know how to respond to this situation, right? There's not a Bible verse per se that will tell me exactly what I need to do in this situation, at work or in the home or whatever that is. Or maybe someone asks you, for advice, and you really need wisdom from God. Well, listen, this is the special impartation or endowment of divine wisdom in that moment when you need it. That's the word of wisdom. That's what this gift is for. And related to it is similarly the, the word of knowledge. The word of knowledge is the next one he mentions there. What is that? Well, that's the ability to know something that you couldn't have possibly known if it hadn't been the Holy Spirit revealing it to you. We see this in the New Testament with the apostles. For example, in the book of Acts, chapter 5, these people come and they lie to the apostles. And the apostles look at them and they say, you're lying. Well, how do they know that? Well, again, this is the, the word of knowledge. We see it in practice there in the early church. Okay, let's continue on. Verse 9, we also see the gift of faith there in, in verse 9. Listen, this is the God-given ability to trust God in situations where you need to take big steps of faith. You know what faith is? I like this definition for faith. Faith means trusting God enough to do what he says. That's what it is. It means trusting God enough to do what he says. And the gift of faith, what is this? This is an extra measure of faith that God sometimes gives people in particular situations where we really need that extra measure of faith to do what he's called us to do. Faith beyond what we normally naturally possess. Okay, the next one we see is the gift of healing. The gift of healing. This is the ability to see people healed as you pray for them. This is similar to the next one we read in the beginning of verse 10, which is called the working of miracles. Now, something that people often ask when it comes particularly to this gift or these two gifts is this. They would say, look, if there are people out there who have the gift of healing, 
or, or the working of miracles, then why don't they just go into the hospital and just heal everybody, right? And just kind of clean house and, and fix everything that's wrong. Why don't they just perform miracles? You know, you could just call them up on the phone and boom, you get all the stuff done you need to do because they, they have the gift of performing miracles. I mean, somebody who has the gift of teaching, they can teach whenever they want, right? Somebody who has the gift of administration, they can administer on any day of the week at will. So why can't somebody who has the gift of healing just really go and, and just heal everybody anytime they want? Well, the reason is because as we'll see as we go through these lists of gifts, some of these gifts are given occasionally, and some of these gifts are given more constantly or permanently in a, in a more sustained way. Listen, so you might not have a gift of healing, so to say, that you can just like pull out of your pocket and tap into anytime you want at will. But there might be occasions when God gives someone this gift in order to do something that God wants to do, extraordinary, something unusual, and he wants to bring glory to his name, and he wants to do that through a person. So he might endow them with this gift in that moment. You know, I was thinking, I have prayed for a lot of sick people over the years. As a pastor, I prayed for a lot of sick people. And I'll tell you this, there are two distinct occasions that I can remember and think of that I can't forget, where we prayed for somebody and we saw God do something that was absolutely a genuine miracle. One case in particular that I'd love to tell you guys about sometime, it surprised me. I was like, whoa, I wasn't expecting that, right? Me of little faith. But I saw God do something amazing and in at least two situations really distinctly. And so I wouldn't go around saying that I have the gift of healing, but I do believe that in that time, it was imparted to me for that time when God wanted to do something unique and special. Okay, next is the gift of prophecy. The spiritual gift of prophecy isn't so much about predicting the future. It's about communicating or passing on or speaking forth a message from God to people in a particular situation. Look how Paul describes the gift of prophecy in 1 Corinthians 14, verse 3. He says that one who prophesies speaks to people for their upbuilding, their encouragement, and their consolation. Notice nothing there is mentioned about predicting the future. Now, that doesn't mean that it can't be that. It just means that this is the idea. When the gift of prophecy is speaking forth a message from God's heart for somebody, right? God's speaking, giving that message through another person for a particular situation that he wants to communicate in that moment. That's the idea here. And, and you know, I would tell you this. Every time I prepare to teach the Bible or, or go into a, a certain meeting or, or whatever it might be, I often ask the Lord, give me a prophetic word, right? To give me a, a word from him for that particular situation for those people. Because I don't just want to, like on Sundays, I don't just want to communicate things that are true. I want to do that. But I also want God to, to impart specific things that certain people need to hear in that moment. So I, I seek to have that prophetic word. Now you might ask, how do you know if somebody claims that, that they have a prophetic message or a word from God? How do you know that actually is from God? Not just them kind of trying to, to, you know, I don't know, put a stamp of approval on what they want to say and say, oh, you have to listen to me because this is from the Lord. You know, Paul actually addresses that question in his first letter to the Thessalonians. Here's why. It seems that the Thessalonian Christians were frustrated by people who were going around and falsely claiming that they had prophetic messages from God. And here's what Paul told them. He tells them this, listen, don't quench the spirit. Do not despise prophecies, but test everything and hold fast what is good. 
What Paul's telling them is this. He goes, look, I know that sometimes people do this wrong. I know that sometimes people get weird about this stuff. But listen, don't put a damper on what the Holy Spirit wants to do. Don't be a wet blanket with your cynicism and quench the Spirit in what the Spirit wants to do. Rather, we want to be those who stir up the spiritual gifts, right, that God has given us. So how do you know if some supposedly prophetic message is actually from God? Well, Paul tells us, first of all, don't despise prophecy, which means be open to the fact that God can and does speak in this way on occasion, but don't just blindly accept everything. He says, test all things. How do you test something? Uh, How do you test a prophetic word? Well, here's how. You test it, first of all, against the word of God. If it really is from the Lord, then it will be in alignment with what God has already spoken through his word. Paul tells us here in 1 Corinthians, he says that God is a God of order, not a God of chaos. And so if he's spoken already through his word, then any kind of prophetic message he gives is also going to be in alignment with that as well. And you can also test things by seeking godly counsel from godly people. You can test things by praying for them. You can test things by waiting to see how things develop, right? If it really is from the Lord, then it will turn out. The purpose of the gift of prophecy, by the way, is never to replace the Bible or circumvent the Bible. The gift of the prophecy is for God to speak a timely word in season to his people by the Holy Spirit. You know, one of the misnomers that people have about this gift is they say, oh, well, that was just for the early church because they didn't have the Bible. And so they needed this gift. Well, no, 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 that's not true that they didn't have the Bible. They had the Old Testament scriptures, which again, are in complete alignment with the New Testament. You can't understand the New Testament without the Old Testament. The Old Testament is only understood in light of the New Testament, right? The two go together. So they had the Old Testament scriptures. They studied them. They also had the Gospels. Do you realize that? They had the Gospels in early form at this time. They were having the apostolic letters be written and distributed amongst the churches. This wasn't because they didn't have the Bible. It wasn't to circumvent the Bible or ever replace the Bible. This was a timely word to the people of God by the Holy Spirit. And friends, don't we need that? Don't we need to hear a word from the Lord into our situations? It's a valuable gift. And Paul talks about it in chapter 14, the value of this gift and how important it is in the church. So we want to keep that. But here's the thing. We also don't just blindly accept anybody who comes along saying they have a word from the Lord and say, okay, cool, I'll do that, right? Uh, No, we want to test all things and we want to hold fast only to that which is true. And that's related to the next one that we see, which is the discerning of spirits, the discerning of spirits. This is the ability to tell what is really from the Holy Spirit and what's not, or to tell the difference between true doctrine and false doctrine. You know, in 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 14, Paul says this. He says that Satan seeks to deceive people sometimes by disguising himself as an angel of light. It's just an important gift to be able to discern between what is really from God and what is not from God. The, the gift of discernment there. The next one is the gift of speaking in tongues. Tongues is the next one there. Both the ability to speak in various tongues or languages and the ability to interpret tongues is mentioned there in 1 Corinthians 12, verse 10. Now listen, the gift of tongues is interesting because it's the only gift which primarily serves to build up the person who uses it, whereas all the other gifts are focused on using them to build up others. This gift is used primarily for the purpose of building up the one who uses it. And that's interesting. Look at what Paul says in in chapter 14, verse 4. He says, the one who speaks in a tongue builds up himself. 
Look at what it says in verse 2 of chapter 14. It says, one who speaks in a tongue speaks not to men, but to God. This is an important understanding about this gift. It means that the gift of tongues isn't for giving messages to people in some foreign language. No, no, no. The gift of speaking in tongues, he says, is for speaking to God, not to men. He says, for no one understands him, but he utters mysteries in the Spirit. So what is this? This is a, a way of communicating with God in prayer that supersedes or circumvents the limitations of human languages. How many of you have had times in your life where you've been, you've been struggling to articulate in words or in your, your language, you know, to articulate what you feel or, or what you want to say, right? The idea here is that God sometimes gives people this gift or this ability to be able to pray in the spirit in a way that circumvents the limits, uh, limitations of language. Now, what people often ask about this gift, they often ask, are these actually like, like known human languages, right? Like French, German, Russian, etc. Or is this something else? Well, we do know this. On the day of Pentecost, those who spoke, spoke in tongues when the Holy Spirit came upon them, they were understood in the languages of people who had come from other countries. So those were known human languages. And yet, in Romans chapter 8, verse 26, Paul talks about a way of crying out to God in a way that is not a known human language. Right? In 1 Corinthians chapter 13, Paul says, if I can speak in the tongues of men or of angels, but don't have love, then it's a clanging gong. And it's a symbol, right? It's a useless symbol. So what are, what are the tongues of men? We know what those are. What are the tongues of angels? What is that? It's, it would seem that in some cases, this is a known human language, but in some cases, it's not. Either way, the point is this. This is a tool by which a person communicates with God in a way that goes beyond their natural linguistic capabilities. And this is why Paul says in chapter 14, he says that the primary purpose of this gift of tongues is not for use in the gathered church, right? In, in the church gatherings, like here on Sunday mornings, but rather for individual use in private prayer life. Now, there, there are times when there's an interpretation or someone who can interpret who's there. And in that case, that can actually edify or build up other people when they hear that person's prayer. And that's good, Paul says. Okay. But generally, this is for individual use, uh, not for corporate use. As Paul says, more about this in chapter 14. If you're interested in that, go ahead and uh, you can read that later. But Paul mentions in verse 28, he goes on in his talking about spiritual gifts. He mentions other gifts as well. He mentions the gift of teaching, the gift of administration. These are very important gifts to be used for helping others and to do God's work in the world. But look at what Paul says in verse 31, at the last part of the chapter. After telling us that First of all, not everybody has all the gifts, and not everybody has the same gifts. He then tells us this interesting thing. He says, but earnestly desire the higher gifts. And some of your translations will say the greater gifts. Some of your translations will even say the best gifts. And that brings up a good question. If there's a hierarchy of gifts as like good, better, best, what are, the, what are the best gifts? What are the highest gifts? What are the greatest gifts that we are to desire and seek after and aspire to have? Well, here's what I would tell you. I have a lot of tools in my garage, okay? Which one of my tools is the best tool I have in my garage? 
Well, it depends what job I'm trying to do, right? Like if I'm trying to cut two by fours, my saw is the best tool that I have. If I'm trying to wax my car, my saw is not the best tool that I have, right? Like my hammer is super good at, at pounding nails, but it's not super good at cleaning windows, right? That, that's how it works. And so the greatest gift, the best gift, is going to be the one that is most needed in a particular situation or a moment. And listen, you may not have that gift, but somebody else in the body does. And that brings us to the next part of our sentence, which is this. As the Holy Spirit comes upon us, he graciously gives gifts. Why? So we can act as his body in the world. Here in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, from verses 12 through 27, from verses 12 through 27, Paul uses a very important metaphor. It's a metaphor that he uses elsewhere in his letters as well. And it's this. He tells us that to be a Christian is to be part of the body of Christ. Elsewhere, he tells us that Christ is the head and we are his body. And he says in verse 27, you are members uh, you are the body of Christ together, corporately, and individually, you are members of it. So we who follow Jesus, who have the Holy Spirit within us, together, we get to act as the body of Christ here on earth. You get to be his hands and his feet. You get to be his mouthpiece through which he speaks to people in the world, and they hear his words. But listen, in a body, not every part has the same function, right? Right? Your eyes can do things that your liver can't do, and your liver can do things that your eyes can't do, and they're both very important. They're very different, but they're very important, and both are needed. In the same way, in the church, we need to have unity in the midst of diversity, but the diversity is by design, and the diversity is very good. You have an important role to play. You are needed in the body of Christ. Do you know that? God has given you certain gifts, but you know what? There are also other people who have other gifts that you need in order to grow and be healthy that you need to benefit from. So God has given you gifts that other people need. He's given other people gifts that you need. Because here's the thing about a body. You can't be a body by yourself. You can't. You're just one member. You can't be a whole body by yourself. Just imagine, you know, if the parts of the body got all detached from the body and they were just walking around doing whatever they wanted, right? Like some hand like creeping along the ground. You'd be like, I'm going to stomp on that thing. That's creepy, right? You see like a pancreas just hanging out watching TV by himself on the couch. You're like, oh no, what's going on there, right? That's weird. And not only is it weird, but that individual part as it's detached from the body, it's just a matter of time before that thing's going to wither up and die because in order for it to survive, it needs to be attached to the body. But guess what? The rest of the body is also going to suffer if that part is detached from the body. That's true in the church as well. When one part of the body is hurt, the whole body hurts. When one part of the body is missing, the whole body suffers. The individual parts also suffer when they're detached from the body. Friends, listen, in our individualistic society, you know this, we live in the most individualistic society that has ever existed in the history of the world. That's where we live right now. And you need to know this. This is important. Christianity was never intended to be a solitary activity just between you and God. No, by design, following Jesus has always been intended by God and by Jesus to be a group activity. You need to be connected to the body, and the body needs you to be connected to it. You need the other parts of the body, and they need you because you have gifts that they don't have, and they have gifts that you don't have. And just like in a body, there are some parts which are very visible and get a lot of attention. I can see all of your noses, right? They're right there. They get a ton of attention. Everybody sees it. It's like the first thing somebody sees when they look at you. But you know what? Nobody ever compliments you on your kidneys, do they? 
I've got beautiful kidneys, but you never said anything about it, right? You never complimented me on my kidneys. Why? Because you can't see them. They're out of sight. And yet they're doing a very important job. I'm really glad that they're there. You know, if they weren't there, I'd be in a lot of trouble. And in the same way, some gifts in the body, some roles in the body are highly visible and get a lot of attention. And others are completely behind the scenes, completely unseen. And yet they're incredibly vital, very important. They're in vital parts of the body of Christ. And as the body of Christ, God wants to do his work through us, through you in the world. You know, Jesus isn't here in the flesh to embrace that person who is, who is having a hard time and needs a hug, but he can do it through you, right? Jesus isn't here in the flesh to speak and encourage to, to that person who needs it or, or to speak words of truth into the life that needs to hear them or to provide materially for the person who needs some help materially or to welcome little children when they come to him. But we get to do those things. You get to do those things in his name. God wants to do his work in the world through you. That's exciting. Whatever your role is to play in the body of Christ, don't think that role doesn't matter. Listen, the Challenger crashed because of the failure of an O-ring. An O-ring, the smallest, cheapest part of the entire thing failed, and the whole thing failed. In the same way, every little part of the body of Christ matters, and its function is important. And what that means is that you need the body of Christ, and the body of Christ needs you. So you might ask the question, so how do I know what my spiritual gifts are? How do I know which spiritual gifts I have? Here's what I would tell you. If you look at this chapter, you'll notice this. The reason why Paul gives them this list of spiritual gifts is not so that they can look through it and try to figure out which gifts they have. Do you realize that? That's not why he wrote this chapter, so that you could go through a list. Okay, which gift do I have? No, the reason Paul wrote this chapter and gives them this list is so that they will learn to appreciate the gifts that other people have. That's why. But that doesn't mean that you shouldn't look through it and try to figure out which gifts that you have. But I'll tell you this. Sometimes I see people get so focused on identifying their own spiritual gifts that they get weird about it, okay? And, th and they'd be like unwilling to serve in areas that aren't their, their, what they perceive to be their gifting. Like, sorry, no, I can't take out the trash. I don't have the spiritual gift of taking out trash. Maybe there's somebody else who does. I have a, a, a higher gift, right? My gift's like prophecy or, or doing other cool stuff. I don't take out trash. Maybe you can look around. Maybe there's somebody else here who has that spiritual gift for taking out the trash, and they can take care of that. Sorry, it's just not my gifting. But listen, to act as the body of Christ in the world means to be a servant like Jesus was a servant. It means to serve where there's need. You know what the greatest ability is in God's kingdom? Availability, right? The greatest ability is availability in God's kingdom, being available and willing to serve where it's needed to build up the body of Christ for the furtherance of God's work in the world. But listen, many times, if you want to know what your spiritual gifts are, I'll tell you this. They're the things which will come supernaturally naturally to you supernaturally naturally to you. Let me give you an example. Imagine if one of the kids in our children's ministry right now, they get a word of knowledge from God that I need some water desperately. So what do they do? They, they respond to that leading of the Holy Spirit. They go to the kitchen. They grab a glass of water, fill it up with water, and then they're running through the church to bring it here to me at the stage. But as they're running, as they get right in front of the stage, this child trips and just falls face down on the ground. Nose is bleeding. You know, carpet's got blood on it. Glass is broken broken glass everywhere. It's just a huge mess. What would you do? This is my question for you. What would you do? Some of you, you're going to be like, hey, where's the vacuum? 
Where's the paper towels? Let's get this mess cleaned up. That's called the gifts of service, gift of help. Others of you are going to say, hey, how much does that glass cost? You know, how much is it going to cost to get this kid to urgent care, right? You pull out your, your wallet, you pull out your checkbook, your credit card, and you say, look, I want to cover it so it's not a burden for anybody else. That's the gift of generosity and giving. Maybe you see that happen and you would stand up and say, everyone, God is speaking to us through this, that in these last days, we need to be careful how we walk, lest we fall and let go of that which God has put in our hands. That's the gift of prophecy, right? Uh, Some of you guys, you're like, hang on a second. You get on your laptop, you make a quick presentation. You're going to teach the church a lesson on how many foot pounds of pressure need to be applied to each side of that glass equally as you're carrying it, how high you need to lift your feet off the ground while you're carrying that thing, how fast you should run and and the kind of, you know, what, what angle you should make at your turns and things like that. You have the gift of teaching. Others of you, you examine the floor. You're like, there's a structural problem with this floor. I'm going to get together a group of people. We're going to go to Home Depot. We're going to get this problem taken care of. I'll organize it. You don't even worry about it. That's the gift of leading. Others of you, you see that child crying, and you're like, I don't care about anything else. I just want to hold that child. Tell him, oh, you poor thing. I know just how you feel. I fell one time, too. It was hard. You just cry with them. You must be so scared. That's the gift of mercy. Others of you, you have the gift of exhortation. You tell that child, arise. You're a child of God, not a dog. Dogs belong on the floor, not children of God. Let's go. Get up. You can do this. See, your spiritual gifting is often what comes supernaturally, naturally to you as you're walking with God and seeking to serve him by serving others. Listen, do you remember that story I told you about the challenger? How the thing that caused the challenger to explode, this expensive piece of equipment, was this little O-ring. Billions of dollars spent on the space program, and yet a less than $1 part caused the whole thing to fail. You know what that means? It reminds us every part matters, every part's important, and the same is true with God. You matter, and you have a role to play in God's work. But you know what? The reason you matter to God isn't just because he has a job for you to do. That's not the reason you matter to God. God, you you matter to God because he loves you. Greater love, Jesus said, has no one than this, than that he would give his life for his friends. And that is exactly what God has done for you in Jesus. He gave his life for you on the cross so that you could be forgiven and redeemed, so you could have eternal life, so you could become a friend of God, and so you could know God as your father. The ultimate Father's Day experience is to be a child of God. And the way to be a child of God is by trusting in and clinging to what Jesus did to redeem you. And once you've received that gift, the joy of being a child of God, you know what it is? It's that you get to join your father in his work and what he's up to and what he's doing. And you get to have that fellowship with God about being part of what he's up to in the world. And so I pray that you would receive God's grace by faith today and that you would seek the greater gifts and that you would use the gifts God has given you for the building up of others and for the furtherance of his work in the world. Friends, as the Holy Spirit comes upon us, he graciously gives us gifts so that we can act as his body in the world. You have been listening to a message from Whitefields Community Church in Longmont, Colorado. For more information and audio content, visit us at whitefieldschurch.com. Make sure to tap the subscribe button if you would like to have new messages delivered to your device every week when they are released. If you have been blessed by this message and would like to support our ministry, you can do so by leaving us a review on Apple Podcasts 
or by giving a donation to our church on our website at whitefieldschurch.com. 